Now, if you're here last Sunday, you knew that we spent our time unpacking the practice of fasting, giving up food for a certain period of time for a spiritual purpose. And, and this practice of fasting is seen in the lives of, of people like Moses and David and Elijah and Esther and Nehemiah and Daniel, Paul, Barnabas, and by Jesus, God in the flesh himself. But listen, despite the fact that the practice of fasting is common in Scripture, and despite the fact that Jesus assumes that those who follow him and live in his kingdom will fast, fasting is a spiritual discipline that is for the most part ignored and seldom practiced today. And listen, I'm convinced that fasting is not only something that you and I need to adopt into our life, but it may be the very thing that is missing in our life as we seek to grow to maturity in Jesus Christ. Now, if you missed the conversation, I want to encourage you to check out it online on our website, YouTube, Spotify, and uh, I can't preach it again today as much as that disappoints you. Um, sorry about that. And, uh, but I do want to remind you of what fasting is not and some reasons to fast, okay? And they're in your notes as well. Fasting is not about being seen by others. Oh, look how spiritual I am. I'm fasting. Fasting is not about strong-arming God. Okay, God, I'm fasting. Now you have to give me what I, I want. It's not about that. Fasting is not about earning God's forgiveness. Fasting is not a payment for or punishment of our sin. And fasting is simply not about just not eating, right? Because if you don't pray, read God's word on your fast, and all you did was not eat food. Here are some reasons to fast. You want to recapture your hunger for God? You see, because God has been so good to us, because God has given us so many gifts and we fill up on those gifts, his goodness, that we're not that hungry for God. And what fasting does, it helps you to recapture your hunger for God. A guy named Piper wrote, the greatest adversary of our love for God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not the poison of evil, but the simple pleasures of the earth. Fasting helps you recapture your hunger for God. If you desire to expose your heart, because sometimes, I don't know about you, I, I use food when I'm bummed out, and it makes me feel good, right? I mean, I'm a, some McDonald's french fries and a, a, a cookies and cream McFlurry, right? It's like, you know what? I was having a bad day, but I'm feeling pretty good right now, right? But when I'm fasting, it's like, I, I can't use food to deal with life anymore. It exposes what's in my heart. It's a good way to express sorrow over sin, to remind yourself of your dependency of God. See, we're, we think we're all that, and you're not all that, Right? And all it takes is a few, few hours without food to realize that you're pretty frail and you can't even go a few hours without being hungry. I'm starving, I need food. A fast is a way to improve the self-discipline in your life, to tell your flesh you're not in charge, my spirit's in charge. It, flash, a fast is a good thing to do when you need a spiritual breakthrough. Again, you're not strong-arming God, but some things only come about through prayer and fasting. It's a good thing to do when a loved one is sick. David did that when the son was sick. When you need some direction from God, Nehemiah did that. When you're about to start a new ministry for the Lord, Paul, Barnabas, Jesus did that. And when you long to see God's power move among his people. And again, there are times that God really assumes, and there's times when you need to fast. And that's all I can do in review. Um, but it, it's so important. It's something that's not been a part of my life on a regular basis that I'm hoping that I can make part of my life. This morning, we're going to talk about the practice of community. 
Now, the concept of community is not seen directly in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's implied in many places. And, and the concept of community and doing life together is all throughout Scripture, beginning in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And listen, as we talk, listen, as with the practice of secrecy, giving and praying and fasting in secret can help you overcome your approval addiction, wax on, wax off, right? Um, the practice of community, we'll see in our study, can also help you overcome your approval addiction. Before we dive deeper into our study, I need to do three things. Make an announcement, read a passage, and pray. All right? Here is the announcement. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, Compassion Sunday. Um, oh, my goodness, I can't read it because it didn't show the part. This is the, uh, basically, there's a, something down here that's too small in my notes. But anyhow, it, you know, compassion is seeing a need and meeting a need, basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're having a Compassion Sunday. And the various projects on the poster board on the wall, I'm going to move them into the fellowship hall during our meal. And we have, a, a, there's a single mom um, who needs her house painted. You know, some folk, people in our, in our congregation know this single mom, a sweet lady. We're going to go paint her house. She's picking out the paint, right? Um, Mike Drew's in charge of that project. There's a project at Ronald McDonald House where our team will go down and prepare, prepare some like 25 to 30 ready-to-eat single-serving meals and work outside in the yard. There'll be something going at the Laurels. According, he always has something great there. That's a very family-friendly one, friendly one. We have four different projects with Love, Inc. Um, we have four um, elderly widows um, downtown, uh, three downtown, and, and uh, they need some yard work done, Right? Uh, we have one that's actually in Scotchville, Scottsville, and it's an elderly lady who's taking care of her very sick husband, who needs some rooms painted. Her house is green, needs to be pressure washed. Her deck is green. Um, she had some trees fall down. And if you're an elderly woman taking care of a very sick husband, that could be very overwhelming, right? Uh, so we want to send some people down there, right? So we're, these are people in our community right now that have a need that we're going to meet here on Sunday, pray a little bit, and we're going to go out and we're going to meet these needs, and that's what church is all about. You know, it's going to take about, you know, anywhere from 50 to 70 people to pull this off. You know, it's a great thing to invite some friends who don't go to church to, right? Uh, no one, in, even in our upside-down world, thinks it's a bad idea to help widows, right? <laughs> oh, you're going to help a widow out? Oh, man, awful. What terrible people you are, right? I mean, everybody could support that. It's a great way to invite some people who don't go to church to say, hey, our church is going to be doing some yard work or painting or whatever for some people in our community that have a great need. Single moms and widows are usually the people I gravitate towards because those are difficult places and they need our help. And it's a great way to invite someone to find out, hey, oh, well, I thought church, I didn't know church did this. And they can find, you actually laugh, right? Um, you actually have fun together. You can joke around and it's a great opportunity. So please sign up for that. Be a part of that. It's on October the 16th. Um, here's the passage I want to read from Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 12. Two people are better off than one. Someone say, two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying down close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. 
But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Father, be with us as we dive into your word. May not just make a difference in this room, but a difference in how we live out our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the practice of community, I want to pack this by unpacking two statements. We were created for community, and we were recreated for community. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, do you see it? Do you see, do you see it right there tucked within the first three verses of the Bible? Understand the essence of the entire universe, the essence of all existence, the essence of life is right there in these ten words. God created The Spirit of God was hovering, God said. Understand, when you boil it down, the essence of life can be summed up in just one word, community. And listen, community has been around since before creation. And it's more foundational than the universe itself. I mean, right there in Genesis chapter 1, we see the divine community working together. The Father creating, the, the Spirit hovering, and the Son of God speaking. An eternal Perfect relationship, connected together, working together, creating together, oneness in its purest form. Now, as you know, God has always existed. Like, how crazy is that? Like, I mean, we cannot even get our minds around that, right? I mean, we live in a cause and effect universe. Everything is contingent, but God is non-contingent. God has always existed. And like forever, forever, God the Son, God the Spirit... And God the Father have been in community. And as we look at the divine community, we see that they're the very definition of oneness and selflessness. When you look at the community of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, you don't find them focusing on themselves, but on each other. Uh, the Spirit points to Jesus and says, look at him, listen to him, learn from him, follow him, worship him, be devoted to him, love him, be preoccupied with him. And when we look at the Son, we don't see Jesus going around saying, I'm the greatest. In fact, he said, I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than me. On another occasion, Jesus said the Son can, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And in Matthew 4, Jesus submits to the Holy Spirit when he was led into the wilderness. And, and later, Jesus told his guys, before he ascended back to heaven, Hey, I know you're really bummed out that I'm leaving. But it's really a good thing. Like seriously, just wait until you meet the Spirit. And then there's the Father. Twice in the gospel we hear his voice say, This is my son, and whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Note God, note that God didn't God the Father didn't say, Listen to me first, then listen to him. Listen to him if only he agrees with me. Bottom line, what I'm trying to say is the essence of life can be summed up in the word community. And here's the deal. Community, together, relationship is as eternal and as infinite as God himself. Get it? Good. And not only do we see the divine community 
in Genesis 1, we also see God getting busy creating an indescribable universe. And right after placing billions of galaxies full of billions of stars in the heavens and creating both time and space, God zeroes in on this pet project, a small planet on the outer fringe of a pancake-shaped galaxy, 100,000 light years in diameter. That means if you could travel at 186,000 miles a second, it would take you 100,000 years to go across the Milky Way. I need water. I got a picture. <clears throat> you are here. <clears throat> Does that just blow you away? I don't know what happened to my voice. A hundred thousand light years, and there we are. How does it even hold together? What an amazing God we have. And this infinite, always existing triune God not only pumped incredible beauty on this planet, majestic snow-capped mountains, waterfalls, vast canyons, wide oceans, jagged cliffs, towering redwoods, breathtaking sunrises and sunsets, but he poured life all over the planet. You know, I find it interesting that, that NASA and other Space organizations spend billions trying to find life on Mars or some other planet. No luck so far. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But listen, Earth is full of life. If you take a shovel dirt or a glass of water and put it under a microscope, you will see that it's just teeming with life. The Earth is most definitely God's pet project. And then on day six of his creative process, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, no doubt with a smile on their face, turned their attention to the purpose behind everything he had spoken into existence. And that purpose is us. And God said, let us make man in our own image and our own likeness. Question, like, what does that even mean? I mean, God couldn't reproduce himself and create another God because he's absolute and therefore unique, but he, didn't mess, mess, but he did the next best thing. He created beings in his own image. And being in God's image involves, among other things, being able to think, to reason, to plan, to dream, to feel, to love, to choose, and to create. But listen, I'm convinced that at its core, being made in God's image and likeness is about relationship. It's about connecting and enjoying the divine community, Father, Son, and Spirit, and connecting and enjoying relationship with one another. And because this is true, in Genesis 2.18, God looks at Adam living in a perfect world, and he says, it is not good. It's not good. Everything's been good so far. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. See, even though Adam lived in a perfect world, no health problems, no financial problems, no career concerns, no relational turmoil, no health issues, no sin or separation from God. Something was missing in Adam's life, and God said it's not good. Why? Because man is made in God's image, and because God is his essence, is community, is relationship. You see, 
We were created not only to connect with God, but with each other. We were not created to run this life alone. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And oh, how we all know this to be true. Uh, There's a book called The All Better Book. In it, elementary school kids try to solve some of the world's toughest problems, like what to do with the ozone layer, how to help people stop smoking. And here's one of the toughest problems that was handed to these little but wise ones. With billions of people in the world, someone should be able to figure out a system where no one is lonely. What do you suggest? Kaylee, age eight. People should find lonely people and ask their name and address. Then ask people who aren't lonely their name and address. When you have an even amount of each, assign lonely people and not lonely people together in the newspaper, right? She needs to leave one of our projects, right? Max, age nine. Make food that talks to you when you eat. For instance, it's going to say, how are you doing? What happened to you today? That would freak me out. <laughs> Woo! I'm at age eight. We could get people a pet or a husband or a wife and take them places. Brian, age eight, sing a song, stomp your feet, read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, so I do one of these. John Orpborg in his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Him, a great book, writes this. In regards to loneliness, for centuries, some of the smartest grown-ups who ever lived have devoted themselves to this problem, this God-designed hunger for community. It's why Plato wrote the Republic and Augustine wrote the City of God. It's why so many of our stories are about longing to reach community, from Odyssey to Walton's Mountain, from Camelot to Mayberry, from Friends to Boys in the Hood. It's why we attend church. It's why we join bowling leagues and go on blind dates. It's why the single most remembered American speech of the 20th century was a plea for all humanity human beings one day being able to eat together at the same table, fellowship, join hands, and sing a common song. Social scientist Gene Estein notes that Martin Luther King Jr. captured the conscience of a society because he was articulating not just his dream, but a human dream, God's dream, end quote. It's not good for the man to be alone. And unfortunately, according to a recent survey, being alone and feeling alone is an epidemic in our country today. Check out these stats. Nearly half of Americans, 47%, report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. One in four Americans, 27%, rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Two in five Americans, 43%, sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful. One in five people, 20%, Report that they rarely or never feel close to people or feel like there are people that they can talk to. Yeah, I guess social media is not cutting it for most people. I think that Shane Hips nailed it when he talked about the core issue with social networking and creating authentic community. Here's what he writes. What a great name, Shane Hips, okay? Digital space has the extraordinary ability to create vast superficial networks but it's ill-suited for generating intimate human connection. Sure, we may have hundreds of Facebook friends or Instagram friends, but when life comes crashing down, is there really anyone to sit across the table from us and just be there? Promise Keepers, a Christian men organization, did a survey and found that most men had a difficult time naming six other guys who could actually be their pallbearers. 
And you know, I'm reasonably confident that most of us have been there and done that when it comes to feeling alone. But we don't like to talk about it. Because as Mother Teresa says, loneliness is a leprosy of modern society and no one wants anyone else to know that they are a leper. In the book Creating Community, the authors write, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. In the midst of busy, overcrowded schedules in congested cities, we feel alone. Although we drive on overcrowded freeways to catch overbooked flights and sit in jam-packed airplanes, we live in isolation. We are a culture craving relationships in the midst of a crowded existence. Many of us are living lonely lives. I don't know about you, one of the loneliest places to be is to be alone in a crowd, right? And these book, in this book, the authors also talk about a few negative consequences of our isolation. A loss of perspective. You see, when we live in isolation, we can easily lose our perspective of life because there's no objective voice calling us back towards balance. And so our lows tend to be lower and our highs tend to be higher. And our point of view is clouded and things tend to seem worse or better than they actually are. And our decision-making becomes very impulsive because there's, there's no objective voice calling us back to true north. There's also a, a fear of intimacy. Uh, people who, who, who don't have meaningful relationships tend to fear intimacy more than those who have meaningful relationships. Like if you never have close friendships, then you're more fearful of that kind of relationship because you fear that if others really got to know you, they wouldn't like you. And so you choose to be disconnected rather than face rejection. Another selfishness. Isolation brings selfishness. Like if the sum total of a person's life is defined by his schedule, his needs, his desires, chances are he's suffering for a good case of selfishness. And over time, a disconnected person becomes so self-absorbed that they live their lives through a very narrow lens. Another consequence is poor health. See, people who live alone face a much greater risk of sickness and poor health than those who live connected. John Orberg writes about a study of 7,000 people over a period of nine years. Here's what they found. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those who had relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating, obesity, or alcohol use, but also had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were isolated. Orberg concludes, in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than eat broccoli alone. <laughs> Some of you may have that explained later. It's not good for man to be alone, God said. Keep in mind, this is before the fall. I mean, there was no sin or disobedience keeping Adam and God from relationship. Adam was known by God, accepted by God, yet God said, it's not good for him to be alone. And here's the deal. Here's the truth about all of us. There is inside of every human being a God-shaped void that no other person can fill. And there's also a human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. Get it? Get it? Good. It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. 
who will help him. With what? A lot of things, but definitely overcoming his problem of loneliness. See, every one of us need people who care about us, people who we can relax and be ourselves around, or we can take off our mask around. People who encourage us, support us, challenge us, correct us, love us, and be there for us in our highs and in our lows. We all need what I like to call three o'clock in the morning friends. A friend you can call 3 a.m. who says, hey, you okay, what's up? And not say, you know what time it is? <laughs> it's 3 a.m. We're created for community because we're created in the image and likeness of the eternally relational God, the divine community. But we're also recreated for community. Ephesians 2.20, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Philippians 1.30, we are in this struggle together. Someone say together. In Acts chapter 2, early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone at need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, God does not intend for us, it's not a desire for us to live our Christian life by ourselves. He doesn't want us to go through the struggles, the storms, and the challenges of life by ourselves. Which is why when we surrender our lives to Christ, he didn't just give us salvation, he gave us a family. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured on us who belong to his dear son. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I like what Francis Chan writes. Is it just a nice cliche to say the church should be like a family? I mean, it's a great thought, but our families are our families. Does God really expect us to be this close with people we're not related to? People we wouldn't even choose to be friends with? I agree that it's natural to be close with your family and unnatural to experience this with people who are not like you. But that's exactly the point. It's not supposed to be natural. It's supernatural. Amen. You see, his church, we were created to be part of his family. A family where we learn to live in deep and authentic community by serving one another, accepting one another, forgiving one another, admonishing one another, carrying one another's burdens, by being devoted to one another, by honoring one another, by strengthening one another, by teaching one another, by encouraging one another, by spurring on one another, by confessing our sins to one another, by praying for one another, by restoring for one another, by loving one another. And listen, the church authentic Christian community is the answer to the world's loneliness. And listen, if the numbers we looked at earlier are even close to being true, that 40% of people in our country feel sometimes they're always alone, 
That means that 269 million people, 81.63% of the population over the age of 15, I looked it up, in our country are starving for authentic community, for real relationships, starving to be loved and cared for. Do you think any of those 269 million people live anywhere within driving distance of Maple Grove? Do you think any people starving for people to know them and care them, about them and love them ever walk through these doors on a Sunday morning? The world and thousands of people in our own community desperately need what Christ intended the church to be, a Christ-led, authentic, supernatural family, a Christ-led, supernatural family. Amen? And here's the deal. We, we all have two basic human needs, to be accepted and to be known. And about three weeks ago, I thought I was going to be able to show you this cool drawing I made up, but I had too much other stuff to talk about. But here's this awesome drawing I made up, right? Practice the community. Got this two-by-two two matrix, right? Known and not known and known. Not accepted and accepted. See, if, 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 we, are, if we are accepted, if we are not accepted, rather, and we are not known, we live in what? Isolation. We're alone. And God says that's not good, right? No one knows us. No one accepts us. We live in isolation. That's not a good place to be. I don't think anyone would argue that point. And again, it's kind of ironic in our day of social media where people have hundreds and thousands of friends that the number of people who are living their lives not feeling known and not feeling accepted keeps going up and up and up and up. And, and if, we are, if we are known but we're not accepted, that means what? Rejection. They know who we are and they don't accept us. And this is extremely painful, almost unbearable. We'll do us anything to get out of it or to pretend it's not there. We don't want to be in this quadrant. If we are accepted, but we're not known, people accept us, but we're not being our true selves, we're living what? We're living an illusion. We're living like the people in Matthew 6 who were fasting to be seen, who were praying to be seen, who were given to be seen. Look at me give. Look at me fast. Look at me pray. And other people were approving them, but they were approving of their false self. And that's really empty because they're not really, a, yeah, they like you. You think they like you, but they don't know you, so their liking you doesn't mean as much. And if we're not intentional, church can become that. It can come, become a place where, where people come and they are not known. It can be a place where we have no more connection with the people in this room as we do when we go to watch a movie at the theater. We come in, we share an experience together, and then we walk out, and we have no other connection with each other. And that's not what God intended the church to be, amen? But if we are both accepted and known, we experience what? Experience love. And let me tell you, it is freeing and refreshing and renewing to live in this quadrant, amen? To be known. 
and to be accepted. I find it interesting that when the Bible talks about human beings in the beginning, it says that Adam and Eve were both naked. In other words, they were, they were fully known. And they were not ashamed. In other words, they were accepted. And, and I think when it comes to us becoming that kind of church, we can learn a lot from how to get to this quandary from AA and other 12-step programs. Like the first thing someone does when they go to an AA meeting is they say, Hi, my name is Dan. I'm an alcoholic. And that's a step towards being known, right? And that's kind of a scary step because, okay, I'm making myself known, or, or, but will I be accepted? But then what happens at that meeting? Everybody does what? Hi, Dan. In other words, hey, Dan, you know what? This is a place where you're both known and you're both accepted. You have both this and you have both that. And actually, Dan, we're actually going to cheer on and encourage your vulnerability. Again, this quadrant is love, and there's freedom there. There's power there. And, and, and this is the quadrant of life in the kingdom. This is what Jesus wants for you. This is why the church exists so that people can live in this quadrant, so they can experience this and this, and not this or this or this. And here's the deal. Yeah, when we actually have this and have that, it will help us with our approval addiction. You see, we won't chase after fake, I had to perform to get it approval, because we already have approval from other people. And we just live off the overflow that we're known by God, accepted by God, and we're known by others, and we're accepted by others. Amen? And Jesus says when this happens, when the church lives in this quadrant of known and acceptance, lives in love, he said in John chapter 13, by this, all people will know. Right? When you're a place where you, people can be known and can be accepted, by this, all people will know that, that you are my disciples. That night in the upper room, Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to be arrested for you. I'm going to be beaten for you. I'm going to be jailed for you. I'm going to be nailed to a cross for you. I'm going to bleed for you. I'm going to give up my life for you. And that is how much I want you to love one another. And when you do, people know that you're my disciples. Do you see how high the stakes are? I mean, we can't sell for anything less than real community. The credibility of the gospel is at stake. As Francis Schaeffer rightly said, our relationship with each other is their criterion the world will use to judge whether a message is true. Christianity is the final apologetic. Being a place where people are known and accepted. One of the places this can happen is in life groups. Now, life groups began in Maple Grove on January of 2011. 2014, core value number three, we do life together, became on a banner. Following Christ and life-changing community became our vision. Over the years, we've had many life groups, and they've been, some been really strong, and other times not so strong. And whenever they've not been strong, the problem is not with the fact that we need to do life together. The problem is with our execution, just like a good football team. Here's some obstacles to becoming a church of this and this. What keeps her from doing it? I call one, I'm doing okay with my own obstacle. I'm good. Go with me. 
Go my family? I don't need to bring anybody else into my life that could just mess it all up. We can't see past ourselves. I don't really need it. Well, maybe people need you. The, I don't want people to know my stuff obstacle. If I get close to people, they'll know that I'm messed up. Clue phone. They already know. <laughs> they already know. I've been burned in the past. Opened up and I got burned. Ever happened to you? The social media obstacle. See, it gives us just a, a taste of connecting that keeps us from pursuing the real thing. And kind of thinking that, hey, we can connect with people over a screen. Yeah. That's a good supplement, right? Like, I like whipped cream or ice cream, but I want the ice cream, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know what? Screen time is the whipped cream. Personal time is the ice cream. Well, I just made that up. It's pretty good. <laughs> I want some ice cream. <laughs> okay, uh, there's a, I'm so busy obstacle, right? Okay, I grant it. What's more important, right? You have to put stuff down, right? Pick something up, you got to put something down. I call the last one the roaring lion obstacle. First um, Peter 5.8, right? Um, devil's proud about a roaring lion. Look for who devour. Who's going to devour? The sheep that's in the middle of the herd or the sheep that's all by himself, right? You know, Satan doesn't want you to be in community. He doesn't want you in a place where people know you and accept you, so he's going to keep you out, right? He loves you being alone. Why? Because a person sent alone can be attacked and defeated. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Three reasons to push through these obstacles. You want to be obedient to Christ. See, pre- being a community is not like a, a choice. It's a command. <laughs> it's not a matter of choice. It's a matter of obedience. Jesus said we're, we're to live life together. And if we love Jesus, we'll obey his command, right? Do you want to obey Jesus? We can't pick and choose, right? I like this. We can, you can do that wood grill or bocce grill. You can pick and choose. You can't do that with the Bible. I go for the fried chicken, chicken livers, right, man? I can all keep seafood buffet. I ain't touching any starch, any salad. I'm going straight for the crab. We did some of that at Myrtle Beach. I didn't eat anything but crab legs till I wanted no crab legs because I paid a lot of money for them crab legs. I don't get my money's right, even if it makes me feel sick for two days. <laughs> That's me. Um, you want to grow more like Christ, right? That's how we grow with other people. They know us, they challenge us, they're there for us, they encourage us, they hold us accountable. You want to fulfill the mission of Christ, creating a community where people are known and people are accepted, where they have this and this, and not this, this, and this. Okay, we're about done. And uh, I have one more thought, illustration of our need for community. I I invited a friend with me today. Some of you may know him. Anybody know who this is? It's Wilson, right? It's Wilson, right? Um, Many years ago, Tom Hanks made a movie called Cast Away, and he was stranded on an island all by himself for years and all alone and feeling that loneliness. And one day, when his hand was bleeding, he decided he was going to make a little friend. And he draws this face on a volleyball. And it helped keep him alive. It really did. Because he had a relationship with Wilson. At the end of the movie, Hanks, he realizes that he's going to have to risk everything and go out on a raft to try to get back to humanity. And he takes his friend with him. And during the storm, what happens is Wilson actually falls off the raft. 
And this represented community to him, right? This was, he was connected to Wilson. And desperate to find him. Get him back. And if you didn't see the movie, I want to show you what that looked like. If you saw it, I would just remind you of the desperation he felt for his friend Wilson. Actually, know people that found themselves crying for volleyball during that scene. <laughs> for volleyball. I mean, some people thought that Wilson should be nominated for Best Supporting Actor and got an Oscar for his performance in the movie. Have you seen the movie? Like, you, like I know why he went after Wilson. <laughs> and why were people so moved? Because it's not about a volleyball. It's about the cry of the human heart for connection, for community, for this and for this. The cry for us to be known and to be accepted, to have this and this, not this, this, and this. Yeah, it's a, a tiny picture. Of all stories are tiny pictures of the one great story of the God who loved you so much that he would send Jesus to the earth. And listen, it killed Jesus to think of you just drifting off, being lost. And he went after you, and he did not swim back to the safety of the raft. You see, in the cross, we see the lengths that Jesus would go to just to be with us, to redeem us, to deliver us. See, Jesus experienced, Jesus was known and Jesus was rejected. He, ex he was willing to experience full rejection so that you and I could have acceptance by God. He was pierced for our transgressions. And see, that's why we exist as a church. All church, right? Uh, to know God's love and to share God's love. You see, Years ago at a conference, I heard a dude say this, and I don't always remember it. But he said this, God creates community within a community to change a community. He creates community within a community to change a community. And if you're here today, I, I want to tell you that you're welcome here. I want to tell you that God loves you, God cares about you. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to know that, that he was parents pierced for your transgressions by, by his stripes that you could be healed of the deadly cost of sin. If you want to talk with me about that today, man, I'd love to do that. And I want to encourage everybody to consider, you know, joining a small community so you can experience this and this. And it gets messy, right? It's awkward, right? You ever try to get to know someone for the first time, right? It's still awkward, right? You know? You know, you, you, you do it slowly unveil. I think like Laura and I did that with each other. We kind of knew each other, but okay, I'll show you a little bit here, a little bit at a time, right? Show you this much. Okay, well, they still like me. Show you this much. Oh, they still like me, right? You know, and so it's messy. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But that's what we need, right? A place where we can, be, we can know it and be known, love and be loved, serve and be served. You know, we have groups that meet at various times, a Monday, a Wednesday, a Friday, um, we actually even have a Sunday morning. We do it every other week before church. And if you have kids, they can go to, to you know, to, to breakfast club. But I just want you to know that God wants you and I to live in the quadrant of love. And he took the hard part of rejection to make that happen. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray.
I got to get a new volleyball because this won't hold. It keeps deflating on me, right? Uh, it's not because I'm a Patriot fan, so before someone else says it. But we take communion every week and, and uh, just to remind us what Jesus had done. If you haven't picked up at, at, at various stations, you'll see a, a box where we take our offering and then we have some individual communion. And so if you haven't grabbed it as we sing this song, I've invited some more worship leaders to go up on the screen there. Uh, we're going to sing the goodness of God. Um, and, and just think of his goodness, man. How? Talk about some goodness, right? Dying for you, sending his son for you. That's how much he loves you and cares about you. And so let's sing that song together. Again, grab your, grab your communion if you haven't done so. And let's stand and sing.